0: season is rapidly approaching and the Blue Jays still don't have an answer, but the only Major League Baseball team not based in the U.S. might be given full government clearance to play their home games, yes, at home. Well, I can't be uh, talking out of both sides of my mouth. I was urging the federal and provincial governments, and they were responsive partners, to uh, say yes uh, to this in light of the fact that there is one of the most extensive protocols I've ever seen to provide for keeping people safe uh, in uh, the City of Toronto and, uh, and and all around the Rogers Centre, and to keeping the players safe, but keeping residents safe as well. And I believe that uh, what has been done here, by way of that uh, very extensive document, uh, will make sure everybody is kept safe. And if that is uh, the case, then I don't know why we wouldn't be happy uh, to see our Blue Jays, Canada's team, Toronto's team, playing in their own home stadium. And that's Toronto Mayor John Tory speaking to reporters on Thursday. Earlier in the day is when we heard from Ontario Premier Doug Ford. He explained the process in which his government approved the Blue Jays' request.
1: Well, we got approval from the municipal, the the city uh, chief medical officer, and we made sure that we discussed it with uh, Meritori as well. We discussed it with the Chief Medical Officer of uh, of Canada, and along with the Deputy uh, Prime Minister. And on top of it, we talked to Dr. Williams and our our team, our medical team. And yes, I, I look forward to seeing them play, even if it's in an empty stadium. I think we need uh, you know a little bit of sports back back on television and. I can't wait to watch the Blue Jays, and I can't wait to watch the Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup because they're going to be playing here as well. So will
0: the boys of summer be playing games in Canada? We wait on the federal government to decide that. But for now, Richard and Donovan break it all down on the Sports on Pause podcast.
2: And thank you to the incomparable Alex Cero for updating us on what has been a fluid story and probably will continue to be. So if you are listening to this now and the news has changed, forgive us. But Richard, I think we should start there with the news that... I don't want to say it really broke because it wasn't confirmed by the team. Maybe it was like sprained. Your initial thoughts when you heard the Blue Jays, it seems like, have been granted the ability to play their home games in Toronto at Rogers Center was what?
1: Well, you know, Donovan, as I've sort of said from the beginning, I'm not in favor of it. Dr. Zach Binney makes me feel better about the plan, so... I trust epidemiologists I trust, and so uh, I felt better uh, after listening to him this episode. But I don't like the exception. I think one of the reasons that Canadians feel – I don't know how you can feel good about COVID-19, but I think at least feel feel a little better than their counterparts South is because provincial officials and federal officials have taken steps to prevent – the spread from the United States to prevent the spread from countries where where they don't have a handle on this. And so I wouldn't make any exceptions when it comes to traveling in and out. The NHL one is different for me because the, the athletes are here, residing here, staying here. It's the back and forth part that makes me a little uncomfortable. But I admit that I feel better when I hear some epidemiologists like Dr. Binney tell me that I don't see a huge public health
0: risk to the people of Toronto from this, which is, uh, so I, I actually understand why the provincial government uh, made the decision that they did, and, and we'll still have to wait on the Canadian federal government. But it seems crazy at first, right, to have a special carve-out for MLB players where they don't have to have a, a quarantine and they can cross the border, but no other Americans can. But I would urge you to think of it not as a carve-out for MLB players specifically, but as a carve-out for a group of people who are being tested every other day, now, I mean, because of the time that it takes a test to come back, you know, 12 to 48 hours, hopefully closer to the 12 to 24 hour mark, but, you know, nobody can guarantee uh, because of the turnaround time and because of false negatives that nobody infected is, is getting on that plane. But that's why you have these kind of multiple layers, right? You're tested before you get on the plane. You'll be tested at some point after you arrive and are flying into hopefully a uh, private or executive airport, getting on a private bus, going to a hotel, presumably very, being very strictly quarantined in that hotel. Uh, having almost no face-to-face contact with any Canadian citizens except for when they get on the field against the Blue Jays, and then they will be mostly uh, social distancing, as baseball tends to allow. So I think that there's both a lower-than-the-average American risk of one of them being a case and moving the infection into Toronto. So there's, uh, there's a lot of steps that go into and a lot of layers that go into, um, preventing this from becoming a large public health threat. So look, I wouldn't have blamed the provincial government if they said, you know what? You're still coming from the U.S. That area is, uh, it has a lot of virus, which we do. We've done a very poor job of, uh, of controlling COVID-19. I wouldn't have blamed them if they said, you know what? We don't want the risk. This isn't worth it. But I also don't blame them that they said that this is okay because I think there's a lot of safeguards in place that, uh, that prevent this from being a big public health threat.
1: But I would not have allowed it. I would have politely told the Toronto Blue Jays that they have to play elsewhere and in the United States for their home games.
2: So I'm torn and I'm of two minds. And here's why. As a fan of the team, As someone who loosely covers the team, but certainly has colleagues, friends who covered it very closely, who who have you know friends who work for the organization, I'm happy they're here. They're much safer here. There's no question that they are better in Canada, where we're seeing two to three hundred new cases a day, than they are in Florida, specifically in Dunedin, where you know in that part of the country we are seeing. 10,000 new cases a day, or better off anywhere in the United States, I mean, Buffalo is also an option, where in the United States as a whole, we're seeing 60,000 new cases a day. So just to underscore that point, you could take all of the new cases in the United States in one single day, 24-hour time period, and you couldn't fit all of those people in the Rogers Center at one time, the place that's going to be empty, for safety precautions while the Blue Jays play baseball. So I'm certainly happy that they are in a position to succeed being in the friendly confines of the Rogers Center in Toronto and they're gonna be safe. But as a citizen, as a taxpayer, as someone with with a Canadian passport, I'm not happy. I don't feel safer today and and there's levels to it. Do I feel much more in danger? No, but if one more person, one single person, gets the virus because of it, Then, to me, that's a risk that's just not worth taking, especially when you've asked people for months to make lots of difficult sacrifices for the greater good. And then you're going to have this exemption for this industry. And it would be different if it was just like the NHL, where it's a bubble and people were coming and quarantining and basically acting like they're Canadians returning to Canada for the foreseeable future and they were tested stringently and they would never need to leave their confines because everything would be provided all the time that's one thing and that's an exception i think the country is willing to make but having different teams come here for three-day stints and really not having a great recourse if they don't follow the protocol strictly i think that's just not worth it and if you're drawing you know the distinction on saying okay that's okay for major league baseball what if Broadway shows say, hey, we want to come and do the same thing? What if actors and commercials and, and filmmakers say we want to start shooting in Toronto? That brings money and economy, and they say they're going to be doing the same thing. Where do you draw the line when you start to open the Pandora's box? So even though, just as you know, Dr. Binney indicates, these people are tested stringently, and for the most part, they're going to be safe. And in fact, you know, they're probably going to be tested more readily than the Canadians that we are going into salons with and and going to patios with?
0: Look, I have more concerns about MLB coming back in general because of taking away some tests and testing capacity from the broader public and resulting in, uh, In, you know, no matter how much they wish it weren't so, some people could get their tests back faster if we were dedicating the testing capacity that MLB has built and has invested in on its own. But if we were to dedicate that to people in the community, then some people could get their test results back faster. And so now you have to balance that against any benefits of MLB coming back, which you can argue could be psychological or social or uh, economic. Um, and that is a question of, of values and morals and, I don't know how you balance all those out. I, I will say I'm, I'm uneasy about it for sure.
2: I'm just afraid of where this might go, and I don't really know if it's worth it. That's my initial read on the situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's an honest read. And again, there's nothing wrong with being a fan. And, you know, I too would like them to play here. It's just, I, th- I think it's better for the players in terms of sort of their personal comfort level. It's probably better for the team in terms of being competitive. I just don't like the exception. I don't like the exception because of the travel back and forth. That said, if I'm going to be honest, I'm certainly looking at it as sort of people who travel commercially, and that won't be the case here. They're going to be traveling to private airports. They'll be shuttled uh, with private transportation. They'll have uh, hotel setups that are private. And so the reality, Donovan, is we're trusting Major League Baseball and its protocols. And that's where we stand if this happens. And the Canadian government, provincial and federal, would be trusting Major League Baseball. It's not to say Major League Baseball isn't going to come through with great protocols, but you are investing your faith and, in a sense, your citizens' public health, at least to a limited extent, to these protocols. And for those protocols to work, human beings have to follow the protocols. So I think it's going to happen. It seems clear that that's the direction we're heading. And like everything else, uh, I would like to get lucky as much as anything else. So, so the hope is that people follow protocols and. And that we don't have any kind of positive tests here in the country.
2: There's been an analogy made to what we've seen in Europe with the Bundesliga and now the Premier League where the players are certainly they're not quarantined. And uh, as they are, you know, in North America and they're allowed to go to and from their grounds and their practice facilities to their homes. And there hasn't really been an issue in terms of players getting sick and and, and God forbid, you know, players having to be hospitalized I think the difference is major league baseball teams are not coming from Europe. They're coming from the United States. The single place uh, that is dealing with is the worst, not just by the numbers, but by the fact that many politicians who you trust to safeguard the public from this virus are acting like the virus doesn't exist. Acting like Dr. Fauci is the one who's made mistakes in how we handle said virus. And I think that's my main concern. And I, I just, let's do some role reversal because I do think Canadians feel like they they don't want to penalize the Blue Jays for happening to to be in Canada and the fact that, you know, we have been so strict in terms of how we deal with the virus in this country. Let's do a role reversal. Let's imagine that there were 60,000 new cases a day in Canada. Tough to consider given our population, but for this thought experiment and let's imagine there are 200 to 300 new cases a day in the united states would the opposite happen if there were hub cities for the nhl in vegas and chicago would donald trump and his administration allow canadian nhl teams to go back and forth i don't think so would they allow the blue jays to come in for series without you know Quarantining for 14 days. I don't think so. So I I just don't know why, you know, and I'm speaking, you know, as a Canadian specifically, knowing that we have an inferiority complex with many things, Richard, I don't know why we need to make amends. Because we don't want to penalize our baseball team. I think the, the health and safety of the entire country is much more important than the wins above replacement that we may or may not you know, lose or gain if the team is playing in New Hampshire or Buffalo or Dunedin.
1: I don't think there's any question that the US would not allow the situation in reverse. Um, part of that would be political. And I think um, it would be politicized. And I think it'd be a very tough thing for any politician to do. But I think you make a really good point. And I think that's an interesting thought exercise because I think if it's going the other way, I don't think it's it's being accepted at all. But I think, Donovan, at, at this point, I think we have to accept that this is likely to happen. I don't know if government officials come out and sort of make at least a, the provincial part, the province part, public without the federal part obviously happening down the road. And so um, a lot riding on this when it comes to the Blue Jays organization, Donovan, they're, you know, each team obviously is responsible for its own protocol, but the Blue Jays, in a sense, if this goes awry, will be blamed because they asked for this and, and they asked for the special exemption. So they have not only responsibility for their own players, but in a sense, they have responsibility for anybody heading to Rogers center. It's going to be certainly one of the interesting stories in sports, um, over the next two months. In addition to the actual play on the field. That's what makes it very intense to process because on the one hand, we're going to be so excited about watching these games and it's a young team and they're really interesting. But on the other hand, there's this larger subtext that's, that sort of shadows everything and it's all being played under the guise of a pandemic. And so we watch and we see and we hope.
2: Yeah, the other aspect that Dr. Benny touched on is, well, okay, well, what if the players break the rules?
0: My hope and and I'm kind of wondering if the provincial government or the federal government will institute any additional security regulations or anything like that in Toronto that would make it harder to uh, sneak out of the hotel or violate quarantine or anything like that. Uh, I would not blame them uh, if they did, because you you should be very, very concerned about that. And it would be you know, an extra shame if MLB somehow sparked an outbreak in a country that had done a much better job than us of uh, controlling the virus. So I would be concerned about that. It's the biggest weakness. I don't know how concerned to be about that. And I hope that there are extra procedures put in place and that everybody is, uh, is extra careful and, and extra respectful uh, when going up there and crossing the border.
2: And another concern I have is just, well, how much teeth do these protocols have to, to enforce if, you know, said all-star second baseman for NL East team says, I'm going out tonight uh, is a security guard really going to be able to stop him? Are they, are they going to be at every stairwell and, uh, you know, exit of said hotel? And, and on the flip side, if they are bringing the party to the hotel, if you will, or, or bringing food to the hotel. And as we've seen, for some reason nba players needing to order postmates at at all times even though they have gourmet food at their beck and call i just don't know what sort of teeth you know these regulations have because i do not think major league baseball teams and front offices are going to be self reporting their own players if they're not abiding by uh, these rules so we shall see it is a fluid story it's one that we will continue to cover right here in this very space, and it's one that you'll continue to cover daily on Writer's Block.
1: You know, the protocol is only as good as the people. That's sort of what all this stuff, whether it's the NBA bubble or the MLS bubble, NWSL bubble, it's it's it works, or you knock on wood, you hope it works, or it has the best chance of working if people follow. If people don't follow, man, you, you don't even sort of want to think about that, uh, that proposition. This is going to be, Donovan, though, it's a couple of months, you know. We're not talking a week. We're not talking MLS's back tournament. You know, it's sixty games, and then for some teams, obviously the postseason. Most likely not in Toronto, but this is not a singular week or or or, or two weeks in Toronto. It's you know you can you probably have it in front of you. Whatever it is, it's eight weeks or seven weeks. So the length here is significant, and um, and again, I know we're repeating ourselves a little bit, but. You really have to hope that the the teams follow protocol and that and that everybody respects the the guidelines that uh, that MLB has set. I really don't want to think about the alternative.
2: Nor do I. Uh, but if if we get to that point, best believe we will be talking about it on this topic specifically. Uh, why don't we give the last word to the expert? Dr. Benny, who can update us on what the bubble and quarantine situations have been in the other leagues and what potentially uh, a second wave might mean? And then we'll come back with the last word.
0: In terms of public safety from outbreaks in the league, I would say that any of the bubble plans are pretty much there and the same. So the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League, uh, showed us a proof of concept with eight teams in Utah, their bubble was quite successful. Major League Soccer had a bumpy road where they had outbreaks on Dallas and Nashville within the bubble, but those seem to have stayed confined to those teams because there was not a lot of inter-team contact at the time those cases developed, so that was the saving grace and the only reason that bubble didn't pop. The NBA, uh, so far, their bubble seems to be holding, and so I'm, you know, I'm optimistic about that. And as long as you can kind of isolate these teams and these leagues and sequester them from the rest of the population, then I think there's a relatively small risk in terms of uh, an outbreak to public health. Again, the bigger concern for me is the number of tests that it takes to run any of these plans. And and is that taking away too much laboratory capacity? Uh, you know, we saw that with, with one lab company in Florida that was struggling to meet its demand for the general public and yet was turning around tests for Major League Soccer in 12 to 24 hours. I mean, that's a real, like, that was delaying people's test results, real people, uh, people who have families and coworkers who were depending on those results to come back quickly. So um, so that's a, a very real issue uh, that, that we have to face and that we have to confront. And I think that bubble plans have a better chance uh, in the U.S. than non-bubble plans, just given the sheer amount of virus. So I'm, I'm really pessimistic about, like, college football, where you just can't make a bubble on a college campus, you know?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, you know what, Doctor Binney, I want you for one more question because sure. we're lucky to have you. If you can, when you listen to Doctor Fauci in the United States, and you listen to epidemiologists who know their stuff, or reporters like Ed Young of the Atlantic who are, have really done the reporting when it when it comes to the intellectual reporting, there's so much worry about a second wave, and there's so much worry about the flu season come September, yeah. uh, October, November with COVID nineteen from your perspective from your studying, where does your concern level rank when it comes to the quote-unquote second wave of this?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I can't say enough about Ed Young, who is an amazing reporter and has been one of the absolute best, if not the best, journalistic voice on COVID-19. And of course, Dr. Fauci, despite what uh, some of our leadership here in the U.S. would try to have you believe is An incredible man, an incredible physician, an incredible public servant, and public health expert. So all of that said, to answer your actual question about a second wave... We're still in the first wave. I mean, we never, we never got past the first wave here in the U.S. We sort of started on a downslope. Things were looking okay. We kind of let our guard down and now we're spiking again. So it's not like we went up and then we went way down and now we're up again. So I struggle with whether it should be called a second wave or not. The way that I'm envisioning it, and, and I guess we'll see if, if I'm right to think of it this way, but I think a number of my colleagues think of it this way too is there's going to be a seasonal effect of COVID-19, if we're assuming that it behaves like other uh, coronaviruses, which will be, you know, I sort of see an across-the-board worsening. So places that are doing great might shift to doing okay, and places that are, you know, on edge could teeter off into absolute chaos, that would be my suspicion for what happens when the weather turns colder and we get into flu season and, and potentially deal with that double whammy as well, getting into uh, October, November, and December. So I suspect it's going to be just an across-the-board worsening rather than going from, like, good to, oh, my God, a second wave, if that makes sense.
1: All right. As we wrap this up, our thanks to Dr. Minnie who was an excellent guest and is certainly somebody Donovan and I know from Sportsnet because he's been a guest on multiple shows over the last couple of um, months. Before we get to the last word, Donovan, I absolutely deserve all the scorn from you and producer Amal Dalich in that I did not hit the record button on my side to record my part of this podcast. So if you hear a little bit of a different sound from me versus Donovan, it's not the production. It's not Donovan, it's me. I am the idiot who forgot to hit the record button and we could not sort of duplicate the conversation or we didn't want to sort of redo our conversation because we th- didn't think it would be so organic. So uh, I'm the idiot who made that mistake and uh, blame me if the audio on that part is uh, is off. But Donovan here, before we get to the last word, I'm going to basically just once again, give a shout out to Ed Young, who, who Dr. Benny claimed, uh, who went basically... He could not praise Ed Young of The Atlantic more for his uh, his work and his journalism. And again, I know I've said this before on this podcast, but I cannot emphasize enough how important it would be to follow and read this guy's work when it comes to this stuff. I think he's uh, he and Donald McNeil, The New York Times, but I think even Ed Young beyond Donald McNeil has basically become sort of the journalistic face of this, uh, of this pandemic.
2: Well said. Well said. Um, you want a last word from me?
1: Of course. Yeah.
2: So- I don't know if this is going to be our future, but I'd be down for it if it is. Fast Company writes about the drive-through clinic. And so a bunch have popped up to really um, make COVID-19 testing friendly and fast. And, and, Full disclosure: I went and was tested for COVID nineteen about a week ago. I had um, had some really bad allergies. I just wanted to make sure and, and be safe. Um, and the test came back negative, thank God. But it was a very seamless process of just going through my car, you know, scanning uh, a barcode, filling out the information on an app on my phone driving in, getting tested, I was there. Honestly, the entire experience was shorter than getting a car wash via drive-through. And so Fast Company explores, could this be a nice middle point for healthcare where telehealth is great for some, but sometimes some critical symptoms can be missed, And obviously when you visit physical clinics, you got long wait times. You have a bunch of sick people in the same space with a bunch of other sick people, not ideal in hospital and clinic waiting rooms. And so this is a way that you could deploy some health and really get some face-to-face, but make sure that it's in a socially distanced way. I I think it might be the future I would love if it is. So go to Fast Company to read that as well. And just a housekeeping note. Uh, You know, I'm sure people are consuming this in many different ways and many different spaces, but the cadence of how you consume it is going to be a little bit different. The show is called Sports Unpaused. And as we now know, sports are slowly becoming unpaused. And as they do, we're going to scale back how often we do this because we never want to reach and just do a podcast for the sake of doing one. So it will be weekly uh, and it won't be, uh, you know, twice a week as it has been in the past. And we'll continue to evaluate to see, to be honest, how relevant this information is for you. But as always, we want you to continue to like favorite share and subscribe and let us know what you want to hear from us. All we want from you in return is to continue to socially distance, to take care of yourself, they're not.